he sighed and kind of looked exasperated, but said, fine, if this will end this conversation, we can just go back to talking about traditional adoption. I will listen. So he crossed his arms and sat there while I read him the letter. At the end of the letter, I lifted my eyes over the piece of paper and looked at him, and he was smiling and looked relaxed and excited, and he said, let's do this. Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Okay, so last week we had Katie Klein and her husband on the show talking about embryo adoption. They were the donating family. They have two children from IVF, but had two extra embryos in storage. They did not want any more children and decided to donate their embryos to another family to give them life. The adoptive mother carried the embryos full term, and now that family has twin boys. So Katie and Scott talked about their journey as they decided to become a donor family, why they decided to give their embryos up for adoption, and how they started National Registry for Adoption with Karis Boone Johnson. You can find Katie and Scott's full story on iTunes under Adoption Now or at our website, adoption-now.com. Today, we have Karis Boone Johnson on the show. Thank you for being here, Karis. Thank you so much for having me. She is an adoptive mother, both from traditional adoption and embryo adoption. And as I mentioned, she is the co-founder of National Registry for Adoption. Karis, tell us a little bit about this program that you have. Well, National Registry for Adoption was an idea that Katie and I had born out of our personal experience and what we were seeing in the world around us um, with families that had gone through infertility, either successfully or had unsuccessfully been able to conceive a genetic child. And then moving forward from that, making hard, hard decisions about how to grow families and what to do once their families had been completed. So that's a big question for a lot of people. And that's why we had Katie on the show. I mean, that really changes your mindset when you're thinking about embryo adoption. When a family says, I have these embryos that we are not going to use, but they're sitting in storage and we don't have any other choices besides giving them to science or just discarding them. We don't want to do that. And so we are thinking about donating them to a family that could potentially carry these children and give them life. And that show, I know a lot of people's heads exploded because to think about that process is really hard to grasp onto. But I'm so glad you're on the show because you actually went through it as the adoptive mother. I did. I was the person whose head exploded when I first heard about (laughs) embryo donation and adoption being an option for me. I hadn't previously known that it was possible for me to carry my adopted child. And I'll never forget those feelings of hope and joy at learning that this was a, a real option for me. Let's start at the very beginning of your journey to become a parent. So my husband and I got married in 2007, and that began a four-year journey to start our family. We 
we knew we wanted to be parents. We thought we wanted to have a house full of children, and we wanted to get started right away, which threw us as newlyweds into the very difficult journey of infertility. The infertility path for us led through many cycles of in vitro, IUI, various testing, diagnosing procedures, and left us with a lot of heartbreak and empty arms at the end of the day. So we began the process of fostering to adopt, which again, after three placements, our hearts were broken and our arms were still empty. So we began the process of domestic adoption. And once again, three failed placements later, our hearts were still broken and our arms were still empty. At that point in our journey, we had had so many roadblocks that I was looking for a different direction to go. Well, that direction at that time led me to a lawyer in my city that advised me to do a private match. And thankfully, our story has a happy part in it in that we were able to adopt privately from a birth mother a sweet little girl that is our daughter, Jula. I love that name, Jula. Jula is Haitian Creole, and it means God is here. God is with me. And that name fit her perfectly as God had walked beside us through all those roadblocks and all those barriers to becoming parents. I just want to say, the moment you get your baby after you have been through so many losses is such an incredible moment. That is so true. I can remember being alone with her in the hospital and being perfectly content to stare at her for minutes and minutes, which seemed like hours and hours, processing all that we had been through and all the loss and the journey that had led to her. And in that moment, having so much healing and understanding of what the plan to Jula had meant and had been for. You can just embrace all the loss at that moment. I think everything makes sense. And so if you are a parent right now going through loss and struggling, we're both here to say you will get a baby. And when you hold that baby for the first time, it will all make sense. And the pain you feel in the valley of your journey when your heart is broken, it's really hard in the valley to be able to see that there's the potential for light, that there's even the potential for hope, that there's going to be an end to that pain. But once you have your child in your arms and you're at the top of the mountain, it's almost just as hard to look back and remember where you were in that valley and think that I can't believe there was a time when I thought that I wouldn't be standing on this mountain, Mm -hmm. that this plan and this journey wouldn't end with something good. Mm -hmm. Especially because you don't forget those losses. I mean, it's not like they replace the loss that you've had, but what happens is it makes sense. It makes more sense. Like all that got you to the place that you were supposed to be at with Jula. And so here you are with this new baby And then what? I totally agree with you that you'll never forget the pain and the loss that you suffered, but your perspective on it will change. Mm -hmm. And the pain won't be suffocating forever. Mm -hmm. So once we had Jula, she was colicky. If she was awake, she was screaming her head off, and I didn't care. I loved every minute of it. 
He was the hardest baby that could be imagined, and I was in heaven with it. I thought we have now figured out how we are meant to do adoption. We will just do this three or four more times, and we'll be good to go. And then comes the pivot in my story. I got a package in the mail from a person that I didn't really know. It had an audio CD in it of a radio broadcast and a little note that said, thought you might want to listen to this. And so I put it in my car as I was going to work, and I had a long commute to work. As I'm driving, I'm listening to it, and it starts talking about embryo adoption and embryo donation and how families that have done in vitro sometimes create more embryos than they plan to have children. And after they're done growing their families, they're then faced with this dilemma. What then are we to do with these embryos that we have frozen? They can donate them to scientific research. They could discard them. But for the families that believe that life begins at fertilization, they were in a dilemma of what to do. The answer was embryo adoption, that they would then give those embryos to a family that had the ability and the desire to transfer the embryos in hopes that a pregnancy would result and a child would be born. And I found myself just tears streaming down my face as I was driving. There were so many things in the broadcast that resonated with me deeply. The first was that having just been through, you know, foster care, international adoption, domestic adoptions that had fallen through, I had been one of the families on the wait list. But now I was hearing that in embryo adoption, it was the reverse situation. It was the embryos that were waiting for families, and that deeply stirred my heart. I have to ask you a personal question, though. If you were struggling with infertility, what made you think this might work for me? My specific case of infertility had been diagnosed as depleted ovarian reserve which meant I didn't have many eggs, and then the eggs I had didn't seem to be genetically normal. So my doctor had actually suggested that we move forward with egg donation. That wasn't something that my husband and I felt comfortable with. Um, we prefer just to move forward with traditional adoption if that was our only choice. But this was a different situation because the embryos had already been created, and... It was also, I found out later, a lot less expensive than going the egg donor route. So my doctor affirmed me that I would be able to carry should we ever have a healthy embryo. Okay, so you knew you were a candidate. What did your husband say? My husband (laughs) was the biggest roadblock on our embryo donation journey that I think. (laughs) He loved our daughter so much that he could not imagine growing our family any other way except for the same way that we had brought her into our family. So he had a lot of concerns. They were threefold. His first concern was my health. Pregnancy can be a hard thing on a woman's body. And he felt that if the child was adopted, the safer route would be for the birth mother to carry the child and not myself. Secondly, he was concerned about the costs that would be incurred through embryo adoption and donation. As we explored 
the possibilities of how to do it, whether to go through a clinic to find the embryos or whether to go through an agency, some of the options were pretty expensive. Going through an agency was going to cost fourteen dollars to $16,000 in addition to the medical expenses. And he immediately ruled that out. It's not possible for us. His third concern was the next step. What did this mean legally? Could the donor family ever come back and take the child? Were we going to be living at risk with a child that could be taken away from us? Mm -hmm. So that began our journey of months of research, looking into all of these issues and questions. And every answer we found kept pointing back to moving forward with embryo adoption and donation. I went and talked to my doctors. They weren't concerned about my health. They said, you've been trying to get pregnant. You were willing to accept those risks along the way with a genetic child. The risk will be no different if you're carrying an adopted embryo. The finances. Well, I had to get creative on that one again. I called up the same lawyer that had helped us do the private adoption with our daughter, Jula, and I asked him, have you ever heard of embryo adoption before? Is there any way to find embryos without paying these agency fees? And he said, yes, actually, you can find your donor online. You can read blogs of women. You can." He gave me a couple suggestions on the Internet to hunt down, and I began to hunt down. <laughs> the third concern he had was the legal ramifications. Well, our lawyer was also knowledgeable about that and had done contracts, and so he said he would walk us through every step of the process. The final piece of the puzzle in meeting all of my husband's concerns was finding the donor that he would approve. And I really wasn't sure if that would ever be possible. So one day, a lady emailed me back, and we continued a conversation via email. And that night, I went to my husband, and I said, I found the perfect embryo donor family, and I just want to read you their profile, because if you don't like them, you won't like anyone. And he sighed and kind of looked exasperated, but said, fine, if this will end this conversation, we can just go back to talking about traditional adoption. I will listen. So he crossed his arms and sat there while I read him the letter. At the end of the letter, I lifted my eyes over the piece of paper and looked at him, and he was smiling and looked relaxed and excited, and he said, let's do this. Wow. And then what'd you do? Oh, my gosh! I'm calling the doctors. I'm calling everybody. I about fell off the couch in shock, and I think there was some happy dancing that went on, and the next day, um, for sure, I was checking off all the boxes on the list and moving forward with actions to get everything in motion. How old at this time was Jula? At the time we matched with embryos, Jula was not quite one year old yet. So it all happened very quickly. And we were actually able to plan the timing of the transfer to be around Jula's first birthday. So our thought was we adopted four embryos. We would put two in when Jula turned one, and if that transfer didn't work, we would still have a few more months to do a second transfer so that the children would be about two years apart. Well, after so many roadblocks, it worked on the first try. So nine months later, I gave birth to Zoe, 
Zoe's name means life, and she is such a celebration of life in our family. And she and Jula are 20 months apart. Okay, I have so many questions. Let me ask you, how much was traditional adoption for Jula? We matched privately with Jula's birth mother. We had put a profile up online. She found us. And so we were not asked to pay birth mother expenses. And so her adoption only consisted of legal fees. And it was about $7,000. And how much was it to do embryo adoption? Zoe's embryo adoption, we had to pay for a legal contract to ship her embryos and then to do one frozen embryo transfer. And the total cost was 3500 Wow, that is substantially lower. And 7000 is actually really low as well. Most of our families are looking at twenty to $30,000. So that is way lower. And you get to carry this baby. You get to experience pregnancy. You get to put healthy food in your body and drink all the water you need. And you know when you go to the hospital, this is your baby. I did. And that was probably what compelled me the most to move forward with embryo adoption. Because in the state that I live in, there's a 48-hour gap between when the baby is born and when a birth mother can sign her relinquishment papers. So even though I was on top of the moon in the hospital holding baby Jula as a newborn, I was still so worried about that 48-hour time clock that was going on. I didn't feel like I could fully celebrate her and embrace motherhood until I knew for sure that the paperwork would be signed. With Zoe, I was able to enjoy the entire pregnancy, to have baby showers, to plan a nursery, pick a name, know every step along the way how she was growing and see her sonograms. And then the second she was born, she was mine. I I didn't have to wait that 48-hour period. We have to take a break. But when we come back, I want to talk about the donor family and what was it in that letter that made your husband change his mind. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. Our website is done. We would love for you to visit us at adoption-now.com. You can always find us on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast on iTunes. And remember, listen, like, and review. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. We're talking to Karis Boone Johnson, who is the co-founder of National Registry for Adoption. She is sharing her journey through traditional adoption, and now she's done embryo adoption. And you have this amazing story about the donor family, because you said that your husband was like, we're not doing this. And it took him a while to come around and agree to it. What was it in the letter that made him change his mind? I would say the only reason he agreed to it was because of what was in the letter. We had so many things in common with our donor family. My husband and I are very dynamic people, very much artistic, but at the same time athletic. We love music and play musical instruments, but at the same time, I like working with power tools. And so it's really hard to find people who share those same interests. When I began reading the letter to him, 
They were athletic. They were musical. They enjoyed home improvement projects. Their interests and activities and how they did life lined up so similarly to us that there was an instant connection between the families. Now, you adopted biracial embryos, correct? We did. We had fostered African-American girls in our home, and they were our first children, and we fell deeply in love with them, and our hearts were absolutely broken when their placement was disrupted and they were moved. We had already accepted them as our children, and so that had remained a desire on our hearts a desire to have a biracial family and a desire to have a transracial family. And so when I read the profile to him, I saved that tidbit for the very last sentence, just in case he had any doubt remaining in his mind. And the very last part that I told him was that the embryos were in fact part African-American and that they were biracial. I was just trying to seal the deal with him. And that made him more excited? It did. It did. He was already excited, but that was kind of the final push he needed to jump over the embryo adoption cliff. What did you have to do to get your body prepared to carry this embryo? After going through so many fertility procedures, the process of preparing for a frozen embryo transfer feels like a walk in the park. The whole preparation cycle took about two weeks. And it only included taking estrogen pills a couple times a day, a few shots right before the transfer, and that was it. What was it like to be pregnant when you never thought you were going to be? For someone that worked so incredibly hard to get pregnant, I surprisingly did not enjoy it. I (laughs) thought it was such hard work. And oftentimes my husband would say, This is so shocking to me. I thought you would love it. Well, it was shocking to me, too. But it's a lot of change going on in your body, and I was very uncomfortable, and I was very sick, and I had all the joys of morning sickness for nine months. So it was hard work. It was worth every minute of it, and it was hard work. So when you're thinking about baby number three, were you thinking about embryo adoption or traditional adoption? Embryo adoption, 100%. We didn't have any more embryos remaining from Zoe's batch, and so we began the process of trying to find more embryos, which actually led me to conversations with Katie Klein about how difficult the process had been and how there was a need for there to be a way to simplify it. I jokingly asked her one day, don't you think there should be like a match.com website where embryo donors can meet up with embryo recipients and they can make this connection organically versus going through a clinic or going through an agency middleman? I was only being half serious, but she took me seriously. And two weeks later, she said, I want to have a business meeting with you and I want to talk seriously about this. And from then... NRFA, the National Registry for Adoption, was born. That interview was very interesting to me because it's similar a little bit to traditional adoption where you can have an open adoption with the birth mother or you can have it closed or you can have semi-open. I mean, you and the birth mother as an adoptive mom, you are talking about it and making plans for the future, right? 
very similar to this match.com that you call it. What you guys have is a donor family is being matched to an adoptive family and you're having that open dialogue. Do we want this to be open, semi-open, closed? What did you decide with your family? With our first donor family, we messaged back and forth via email and talked at length about what we wanted our relationship to be. She had never donated embryos before. And so understandably, she didn't know how she was going to feel if a child was born from them. I had never been a recipient before. I didn't know how I would feel. So we made a commitment to each other just to be open and honest with communication about what we needed and how we were feeling. And we decided that we would have an open relationship and we would decide the details as we went. She jokingly wrote in an email to me, she said, look, I want to know if there's a child. I want to see pictures of them, but I'm not asking that we go on family vacations or anything crazy like that one day. And we got a good laugh about it. Well, three weeks after Zoe was born, she had seen pictures of Zoe. I had told her that Zoe had been born. They sent me flowers. And she called me and said, you know, we've seen these pictures, but we would really like to meet Zoe. Would that be okay? And as the timing turned out, it just happened that we were able to get together for Thanksgiving that year and give thanks for the new life that had been brought into the world. From that point, and I'll be honest with you, that first meeting, there was some tension. There were some people trying to work out some kinks in their feelings, and it wasn't the smoothest of meetings, but we made it through. We continued building our relationship, and over the years, we've become great friends with them. We enjoy spending time with them, and I guess about two and a half years in, she and I were just chatting one day, and we'd become really good friends, and she said, you know, I joke, you know, that I didn't want to go on family vacations or anything, but, hey, we're going to Disney. Do y'all want to come? And I was like, totally. Sounds like a blast. No so, way. <laughs> so you yeah, did go on vacation. We did. We have gone on family vacation to Disney World together, and it was hands down the best vacation I've ever had. Okay. How many kids do they have? So they had boy-girl twins, and then they were done. And their twins are about a year older than Jula. Okay. Two and a half years older than Zoe. Right. And their children are your daughter's biological siblings. Yes. Full genetic siblings. That is amazing. Do they ever say, I want you to parent her like this? No, we've raised the kids so far just referring to each other as cousins and the kids are starting to be old enough at this point that we're telling them more, they're understanding more, but they don't have a large group of cousins outside of each other. And so it's kind of filled an interesting spot in our family that we didn't have. Katie said that as well, that she's calling them cousins, but you will eventually say, what? This is your biological family? As it becomes age appropriate, we're giving the kids more as we feel that developmentally they're in a place where they can understand what we're saying. Recently, I had a conversation with Zoe. She came home from school and I mentioned to her that a little girl in her class was adopted and she should, you know, tell her that she was adopted so they could have that in common. And Zoe looked at me and said, I'm not adopted. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I said, okay, little Miss Sassafras, let's go sit down at the table and have we a need conversation to talk. about this. Yes. <laughs> and so we clarified, you know, that she was adopted even though she grew in my tummy. Jula's adopted and she did not grow in my tummy. And then I went on to say that mommies need eggs to create babies and my eggs were not working. And so Aunt Jo stepped up to the plate. And so Zoe has the knowledge now that her donor has more of a relationship and connection with her than an aunt. Um, but to what extent she's only five, she's really not able to comprehend more than that at mm-hmm. this point. Right. It makes sense. And I laugh too, because, you know, we have four adopted children through traditional adoption and my Colombian daughter tells people these three are adopted, but I'm not. But she's four. I mean, she doesn't know, but we just laugh because I think in her mind, because the other three are African-American, like she's not because, you know, her skin looks closest to us. So she lets everybody know that. So it's funny. I mean, she knows she is and we have to sit down and, you know, you just kind of laugh through it. And I love the way that you explain the process because you say it so naturally. You're not uncomfortable with it. And so it sounds like they're going to be fine with it to understand as they grow. Well, my hope is that we can constantly be exposing them to the information along the way so that there's never one big reveal moment and that they have been building a foundation of understanding this their entire lives. Right. Okay. So baby number three, you set this up with Katie. You guys are talking about going into business together. You start this website. How did you get matched? I matched on NRSA. National Registry for Adoption. It was a success for me very quickly. It was also a success for Katie very quickly. People were very interested in signing up and going this route. So I matched with a perfect donor couple. Couldn't have asked for more. We made the match. We did the contract. We shipped the embryos. And unfortunately, I did not get pregnant off of the embryo transfers from that match, which left us brokenhearted. Once more. Can I ask you how much that loss was? So the expenses included with my match that failed, we paid $300 to NRSA for our legal contract. It was about $300 to ship the embryos. And then I paid my physician $1,500 to do a frozen embryo transfer. And so all in, we were a little over $2,000. Okay. So you do take a risk in embryo adoption. And I want people to know I am pro embryo adoption. I am pro traditional adoption. I am pro foster care. I love the journey that everybody goes on to bring home their children and grow their family. I just find this really interesting because when you enter into traditional adoption, you can lose $10,000. In fact, on our last adoption, we thought we lost the baby because mom changed her mind And we would have lost $15,000 in one week. And so we were swirling on what we were going to do to recover that money. And what, I mean, we ended up getting the baby. So it was a good ending. But I'm just saying that $2,000 is a lot less risk than when you go about it traditionally. So when you lost that money, I mean, what was that like? We knew that it was a risk going in, but my first concern was for the embryos, the life that had potential. I wanted to make sure that there wasn't something that had changed in my body after a pregnancy 
So I went back to the doctor. I had extensive testing done, and there were many twists and turns in the journey over the next two years. But the result was I had some confirmed tests that made me a less optimal candidate for pregnancy. And so we had to make the very hard decision to step away from embryo adoption at that point. And we pursued domestic adoption, again, through a private channel. We ended up adopting through an agency, kind of a crazy situation. But we have a little boy. His name is Ben which is my maiden name and means blessing in French. And we couldn't be more excited and thrilled to have him in our family. So is your family complete now? Well, I don't know. We have that conversation often. What I love about your story is that you went through so many different hoops to grow your family. And embryo adoption was definitely on your heart, but you also didn't give up on traditional adoption. You went back to it. And even though there was loss in embryo adoption, you kept going and that you're still supporting people doing it this way. I was in such a dark place during my infertility journey, having heard no so many times that when I heard about embryo adoption as an option, it's like a new light lit up in my life and in my heart. And through the course of sharing my story with people, I never fail to get to share it with a person who's never heard about it for the first time. And the joy and the hope that it brings into their lives is worth all those valleys I had to walk through. And so I would encourage anyone listening to the broadcast today, you may not know that you know someone going through infertility, But one in six couples of childbearing age are currently suffering some sort of infertility. Just by sharing the story and the message of embryo adoption, you too could bring hope to their lives. Katie was mentioning that there are more donors than there are adoptive families. She said 90 donor families waiting to donate their embryos to an expectant family. That's amazing. That is an incredible number that I am so excited to share because donors that have embryos, that is a very emotional journey that they go through just to create their profile and just to get out there and start trying to find a recipient family. And so I just want to hug every single donor that is on NRSA right now because they've gone through a lot in their journey to get there. Also, our recipients that are on there trying to find a donor and begin the journey. I'm so excited for them as well. How can an adoptive family find you? You can go to prebornkids.com. We have three different opportunities for you on prebornkids.com slash adoption now. You can sign up for our newsletter and get more information about embryo donation and adoption. I've written an online ebook that you can download for free. It goes systematically through the embryo donation and adoption process and will walk you through all the decisions and steps you have to make along the way in a chronological order. Or you can sign up for NRSA on prebornkids.com slash adoption now and start making your profile today. How much does it cost a starting family? Our plans run as low as $29 a month 
Sometimes if you sign up on the newsletter, there's even coupons that go out. And so sometimes it's even lower than that. We purposely try to minimize the cost to the families to make it possible for everyone that would want to try to participate. Karis, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Thank you so much for allowing me the privilege to do so. And again, that website is? Prebornkids.com slash adoption now. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.